0: Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody disgusting network. Coming up next is something indescribable, tantalizing, and mind-numbing. Enjoy. Did you ever watch the Twilight Zone? (laughs) God, remember the Twilight
1: Zone with Burgess Meredith? Remember, he, he he loved to read, and there was a nuclear war, and he had no friends anyway, and he was oh, down man, on basic glasses. What about the mannequins that got two weeks off and turned into humans, and they were allowed to go out and shop for two weeks on their own, and then this one came back, and it was over two weeks, and the other mannequins went, come over here for a minute, and turned into plastic. You, you want to see
2: something really right? scary? Yeah.
0: All right.
2: Oh, all right.
0: All
3: right. Welcome to the new Zoning Out. I'm Christopher Feinstein. John Sachs. Frank Bonacci and Justin Feinstein. We are gathered here today to discuss Twilight Zone Season 1, Episode 9, Perchance to Dream. With an air date of November 27th, 1959. A fatigued man fights to stay awake as he explains to a psychiatrist that if he falls asleep, it will trigger a nightmare. A nightmare, not a nightmare, which will cause his heart to fail. Fellas, what do we think? I'm not going to bury the lead. This is a ten for me. <laughs> a, a ten. This is a ten.
2: Whoa! For me.
1: Full on ten for me.
3: Right off the fucking gate. Doesn't yeah. even explain even go- himself.
1: Nah, just a ten. I, I I was gonna sit there. It's like, how do I do? I pull the John move. It's just like, nah, I can't. It's this is okay. First of all, this is where I like uh, Twilight Zone the best, where it's fucking with perception, fucking with the viewer's understanding of reality. This was just all that. and Now, now this is the first episode written by Charles Bowman. and I definitely want to talk to him in a little bit. And you could tell, like, now that we've been, like, getting, like, we've been acclimated to the Serling style for, like, uh, eight episodes up to this point, doesn't this feel very different? Even though it's still in the same wheelhouse. So it, does, it does have the house style of Twilight Zone but in terms of themes and uh, in terms of like tone this is way different than anything Serling's written up to this point
2: oh yeah. right away within the first two minutes it felt different it yeah. felt claustrophobic in a way that the others were not
0: I thought you said you were tired I am I'm the tiredest man in the world you all know how many hours I've been awake 87 hours Almost four days and nights. And you can't go to sleep, is that it? (laughs) No, Doctor, not can't. I mustn't. I mustn't go to sleep because if I do, I'll never wake up.
1: On a filmmaking level, this is my... This is like when it's... I love Twilight Zone when it's at its most arch visually. I, I mean, Dutch angles, like German expressionism just it's just every stylistic trick in the book they're throwing at you and it's it's ridiculous like up to this point like which has been it's been very subdued the show up to this point this episode is decadent visually it is a wild looking episode and it's the the really tight canted close-ups of just sweating men that's like my thing like when i think of twilight zone it's those (laughs) close-ups of richard conti just like tilted up dutch angle just a sweaty, agitated, scared man, forties, fifties man. <laughs> That's like the Twilight. That to me is what I want out of my Twilight Zone. And Jesus Christ, has could this concept be any more ripped off?
2: Than, oh yeah. my God!
1: Jesus Christ! I mean, I I I forgot to write it down. Aside from the obvious Nightmare on Elm Street thing, I've seen like uh, there was just something else. There's just so many things that this like I see the DNA of this and I was floored by this episode. Sorry, I'm just yammering because I just love this episode so much.
2: Well, David Lynch too. It felt twin, very Twin Peaks-ish. Very Twin Peaks. I mean, I don't know yeah. if he's mentioned that if Lynch has ever talked about where Peaks came from, but this is just ripe with Twin Peaks vibes and style and music and the like. You mentioned the tilting of the camera, and that's very odd and kind of eccentric vibe. The whole, I mean, it's total Twin Peaks
1: thematically i mean really when you break out in the episode a really tired dude with real sexual inadequacy issues (laughs) has a heart attack and dies
2: (laughs) yeah
3: Yeah. when he uh when he's going through the flashback and he's like looking in the rear view i was expecting something like so menacing
2: you know like this episode could have been
1: this episode could have been like boiled down to a two-minute episode a guy Guy walks into the doctor's office, cluster his test going, my dick don't work no more, and just collapses dead. And that, <laughs> that could have been it. <laughs>
3: this, this was the first episode for me so far that was genuinely scary. When it got mm-hmm. to the dream sequence, the dream sequence was very fucked up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the, there's a build to it too, because it, first it's just disorienting.
0: Right. You are afraid. Only because this isn't happening. This is a dream. I'm not here, I'm at home, asleep. And you're part of that dream. I know that. You do? Of course. Come. Come.
1: Feels like when you're in a dream and you don't. When a dream starts turning on you. And yeah. you know it's about to turn on you, but you can't stop it. like a night terror. It feels like a night terror. It's like as the, uh, artistically, like on a, a nuts and bolts level, this just maybe not the
3: deepest episode we've seen so far, but God damn is this fun. The part that we're uh, in the dream and that animatronic. Monkey came sliding in the background, almost made me shit in my pants. It <laughs> did too. Because I was kind of toning out, like up until that point. I was like, okay, I see what's happening. And, you know, it was late and I'm watching it. And I'm like, and then that fucking gorilla came s- sliding in. And I said, oh my God, why is that there? <laughs> why is this Jungian archetype fucking attacking them?
2: <laughs> yeah, the part where he runs away and the camera is very low and it's kind of looking up at the hallway. Yeah. That's great imagery. I mean, again, this really was the first kind of true horror style of, of the, what is this, number nine? Number nine. Yeah, this really felt, this felt like a horror movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Pretty intense. I'm like thinking 59. Like, the, yeah, it gets really intense in that second half. Fucking poor Barzini. That's who that was. The lead actor, Richard Conti, is uh, Barzini from The Godfather.
2: Don Barzini.
1: Yeah, Don Barzini.
2: He if Don Corleone had all the judges and the politicians in New York... Then he must share them or let us others use them. He must let us draw the water from the well. Certainly, he can present a bill for such services. After all, (laughs) we are not communists. Don Marzini.
1: (laughs) Fucking love it.
2: Considered for the role of uh, Vito as well. But he lost to another guy. I can't remember that guy's name.
1: So this is the first episode written by Charles Beaumont. And uh, let me talk a little bit about him. Oh, This episode was adapted from a Playboy article, yeah. And Charles Beaumont was, Short story. Uh, yeah, uh, this uh, a lot of his stories got adapted from Playboy. And uh, Playboy, he uh, was the first author to have a fiction story published in Playboy all the way back in '54. Young guy, I mean, it, it, 50s were his heyday where he was just writing for like every magazine. Uh, and, like, horror magazine, everything. Like, he was writing for Mickey Mouse comic books. The guy was was writing, like, he was just a machine, just writing short stories. He's part of that crew of Richard Matheson, like, a lot of these great writers that came up around that time, uh, fantasy writers, and he was just fast as shit, the dude. This is amazing. It's 59, you know, and he's got his first, like, you know, thing on Twilight Zone, and it's already, like, the beginning of the end for him. Uh, He, like, he... Is unable to write by sixty three, huh. and uh, a lot of like the scripts that are attributed to him in the latter half of his run on Twilight Zone were actually written by friends who were ghostwriting for him just so he could like collect a check because he was so uh, infirm at the time. And by sixty seven, he passed away. Uh, they don't know what it was. They they think like a lot of uh, modern uh, modern doctors who've like looked at it. You know they didn't they couldn't diagnose it at the time particularly well because of uh, medicine. But uh, they found out. They think it was mostly a combination of Pick's disease or uh, or Alzheimer's, which is just for a guy this with a mind like this. That's so cruel. And at 37 years old. Oh wow! Like really young. Wow. Uh, Thirty. Wow. 37, and he wrote. He got a lot of shit done, like in that 37 years, man. I mean, aside from a lot of Twilight Zone, classic Twilight Zone episodes. Uh, he wrote one of my favorite films that uh, Never gets any uh, credit so in an alternate universe Roger Corman is making prestige films and William Shatner is Considered one of the most refined and nuanced actors of, of his generation and that's because of a, a movie they collaborated on so now in 1962 Roger Corman gets a, a script by Charles Beaumont uh, called uh, *The Intruder*, uh, and it's about a anti uh, a segregationist going to a small southern town uh, played by William Shatner, trying to rally the town's vote uh, against uh, the uh, desegregation acts, like trying to like stop the governing bodies to vote for desegregation. It is in a, a masterful performance, and it is a very classy film, like really thoughtfully directed. Nothing what you'd ever – like what you'd – when you hear Roger Corman, you don't think this kind of movie. You think exploitation, even though the film was sold in certain markets as I hate your guts because it's got a – you know, it's a punchier exploitation title. Uh, this was a, a really amazing film, and like the most uh, – one of the few films that Roger Corman ever put his own money into. And uh, this is the first debut film from William Shatner, who I said before, gives an incredible, like just a command, like, like not just like William Shatner, big William Shatner performance. He's big when he needs to be. People,
0: something happened today. Ten Negroes went into the Caxton High School and sat with the white children there. Nobody stopped them. Nobody turned them out. And you know what they're saying that means? They're saying that you all don't give a darn whether the whites mix with the blacks because you didn't fight against it. Well, I say, how can somebody fight what he doesn't see? They've kept the facts away from you. They've cheated and deceived every one of you. They've filled your heads with filthy lies and kept you in the dark. So that when you finally do wake up why we're sorry but it's just too
2: late
1: but he has moments of like really small moments where you see like wow this guy's a really good actor like a really thoughtful actor like then people give him credit for I i always like let me clarify my point on william shatner i think william shatner is a good actor i mean does he get too big sure but uh i always say he's a good actor but like he definitely goes bigger than he needs to sometimes. This movie was a huge flop, and it's a shame, because, like, Roger Corman had been making, like, cheap, like, you know, cheap science fiction films, and I love those films. But uh, he was like, this was, like, him saying, no, I'm a real, like, I could make a real, like, like, I, re- I could make art, dude. Like, I can do that. And, like, so much so that he believed in this so much that he put his own money into it. And, again, with the great performance and the great script by Charles Beaumont, it's a shame this film didn't take off. Like, it didn't, like, catapult them, be the thing that catapulted them to the next level. Uh, it's it just It just wasn't marketed very well. It's not even, like, a real salacious thing. It was reviewed very well. It just, like, just wasn't marketed well and just audiences didn't show up. And uh, it's a shame because, like, we lost... Uh, like, uh, there would have been an interesting. I would have liked to have seen Art, Roger Corman do these kind of like almost prestige films, like, uh, than like the exploitation stuff he did. Uh, and I would have liked to have seen William Shatner like go on this career path. It's like, it seems like everything they did after that was like, to distance themselves from it. It's like, okay, instead of going small, I'll go big. You know, like, you know, like, it was like everything was an overcorrection. Uh, this is one of my favorite films. So I, I was so glad I was able to like, that's why I kept saying Charles Beaumont's coming because I really wanted to talk about this movie uh, as opposed to Twilight Zone, which is the show's about. But that's an amazing <laughs> film. He also, direct, he also wrote uh, the script for uh, my second favorite George Powell film, uh, The Seven Faces of Dr. Lau, where uh, my first being uh, Tom Thumb. Uh, this film was, uh, stars uh, Tony Randall, playing seven roles. Unfortunately, one of those is in yellow face. He plays Dr. Lau setting our modern sensibilities aside. It's an incredible performance. Like if you've only ever seen Tony Randall as as uh, Felix Unger, prepare to be shocked. He's give he very seven like a lot of different roles. He also plays different genders. He plays women in this, too. It's, it's an amazing like, wow, Tony Randall fucking like who knew? Uh, And that's the another thing Charles Beaumont, right? And of course the Twilight Zone episodes and uh, unfortunately that's where it stops more or less, you Mm. know, he was on, he could have been like this. He's, he's has these things out before he's like, you know, he's like when he's 30, all these things hit when he's 30 years old, more or less. Crazy. It's crazy. He was
2: incredibly prolific. Uh, Yeah. He was second only to Serling in the number of Twilight Zone scripts in his 14 year career. He wrote and sold 10 books, 73 short stories, 22 articles and profiles, 14 columns, 13 screenplays, 68 teleplays. So he passes away in 1967. So you got to wonder what he would have done if he had. And it's crazy that they don't really confirm how he passed away.
1: Yeah, they don't know. Like, there's like this. I I went looking and it was just like some people, it was some kind of brain uh, neurological ailment. They just don't know which one it was. It's like and everybody. he did drink a lot, but it seemed like everybody said, no, he was drinking to self-medicate because whatever this degenerative thing was doing to him was like really starting to fuck him up.
2: So this is Serling's story about how he and Beaumont met. Mm. So this is at a party around 1958. Serling says this was right after Velvet Alley and Chuck Beaumont, whom I didn't even know in a very tasteful way. Nothing offensive in the way he did it. He said, quite honestly, I must tell you to your face. It's the worst piece of writing I've ever seen. I didn't rebel at all. I didn't rebel at this at all, but to this day, I claim that Chuck is absolutely wrong. Anyway, it put Chuck and me on a very good basis because I feel now only the right, but the obligation to speak to Chuck honestly. So he went up to him, told him his script sucked, and they became good friends.
1: That's awesome.
2: That is awesome. That's pretty badass, too.
1: That's got to be refreshing, though, in like a professional like Hollywood environment. I think you're wonderful. I think you are, too. And it's like, I don't mean that. I don't like anybody.
2: <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Yeah, it's, he could trust him because he, he was honest. He really dove into, like, the whole,
3: like, dream sequences and uh, breakdown of, like, actual, like, like dream charts and things. Like, you know, like, you never know, go to those websites and look up, like, what's my dream mean when I have a fucked-up dream if I wake up and there's, like, spiders crawling over my head? It's like, what does that mean? It's like, oh, you have a cold? But, like, he really went into, like, the details. So, basically, if you dream about you're in, like, an amusement park, it kind of indicates that like you need some time set up in your life to relax. Like that's what it means. So it's like this guy was so stressed out and putting himself under so much like just being neurotic that like he was causing his own dreams essentially to to kill him, to put the stress on his heart because of how much he was stressing out over it. So he was right. inventing this whole You know, but like in actual like dream logic, like that's what it is. That's what happens.
0: So it's interesting that
3: he kind of like I didn't make this up. This is actually what really goes on. If you're really stressed out, these are the dreams you have, and let's just have this kill you.
1: Well, that's the thing. The episode, we don't get to know the man outside. He just shows up. Uh, Like we just see. he, He just he's already in this condition when we meet him. So the only way we really get to learn about him is through his dreams, which is. A fa- you know, what a great device I love, I, which I'm a fan of seeing all the time.
2: Which can be which can go wrong so many times. I've seen it go bad so many times where the use of dream sequences in movies or TV, and it usually feels like just a, a way to kill time. Like they're what? not actually saying anything. They're just trying to string along the story to make it long enough that they can release it as a movie or a show.
1: It, it also, this actually a, it,
2: develops the character and in the, in the story
1: yeah it could be a shortcut you use it as too it's just like we'll show it's like how do we know he's he's having or like you know it's just like we'll have like his girlfriend kill like try to kill him in his dream and that's how we know he suspects his girlfriend it's just like you know it's just late it's usually late it's like a lazy thing to do it's just like mm-hmm. yeah there we go yeah it's a shortcut but no it's just it's a character study through this person's
2: mm-hmm. dreams did you guys notice that uh, you don't see the secretary's face when he walks in? No. No, I didn't notice. Mm. They dra- they kind of drag the camera behind her so you don't see her face. Mm. She
3: was yeah. uh, she had a pretty long body of work. She has a really large gap, though, in her resume, which is very strange. It's like she worked pretty much exclusively on television from the 50s straight up to 1974, and then not again until 2017. What the hell? Wow.
2: What body. did she do in 17?
3: She's a restaurant patron in The Young and the Restless. Just a background actress in The Young what and the Restless. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's like working like solidly. Like she's on like TV shows in like 15 episodes in a season throughout yep. throughout the 60s, the 50s. She's on Zorro, The Saint TV series, <clears throat> The Avengers TV series. So she has like a prestige body of work behind her. And then nothing after 74 until 2017 to just be a background actress on the uh, the soap opera.
1: Who is the guy who plays the doctor? He's a guy, I looked him up, and I cannot figure out where I know him from. Yeah, John Larch. uh, I've seen him in a million things, but I don't know which thing I remember him from. He's He's in Airplane 2. He's in Amityville. Oh, he's the father in, oh, he's the priest in Amityville Horror. That's what I know him from, probably.
3: He's on Mm. Dynasty in Dallas, two of the biggest shows
1: ever. Oh, he's also the chief in Dirty Harry, so I've seen... Like, he's a guy I've seen in a million things. I just... I I don't know what else to say about the episode from my end. I was floored by it.
2: You guys ready for me to quote Hamlet? I know you've been waiting for it. Mm -hmm. That's all I've been waiting for. For, (laughs) From Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1. To die, to sleep, to sleep, perchance to a dream... Aye, there's the rub. For in that sleep of death, what what dreams may come when we have shuffled off this mortal coil must give us pause. There's the respect that makes calamity of so long life. So maybe Serling was the Hamlet guy. Or Beaumont, for that matter.
1: Oh, uh, you know what else Beaumont wrote? And this is of no particular interest to anybody but me and possibly Chris. So he wrote a movie called Queen of Outer Space starring Zsa Zsa Gabor. Oh, hold on, my food's (laughs) here. What?
2: <laughs> he's such a fuck. That was the quickest I'm out of here I've ever seen. He shut the He did like roll. a backflip. He's definitely <laughs> he did, wearing he no just, underwear. Yeah, he's no got no pants on. on. <laughs> the camera
3: went off. He has no pants. Zero chance of pants.
1: That poor delivery guy.
2: <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, he's just
1: slinging dong. He's, he's apologizing he's, right he's, now. He's, I'm so sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. So sorry.
3: My, my balls and dick are out. ball. <laughs> <laughs> did you get chinese again so you can get a coke yep <laughs> <laughs> i'm getting taco bell because it's my birthday how much, bro- you know
1: much broccoli i've eaten in the last two weeks <laughs> i don't want to go out to the to right aid get okay, the crunchwrap supreme
3: baja blast this is 29 baby I got to go to McDonald's because uh, I want those Bounce? buckets. I want those fucking buckets, too. Me, too. What buckets?
1: What fucking Halloween buckets, <sighs> Halloween dude?
3: buckets. i brought slap, slap the, the taste Halloween out of your mouth. Never heard of it. I don't like the ghost has Never a pumpkin head, though. Nah. It bothers me. Lazy. 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 <laughs> it's lazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. I'll get back into it. So, read about it. So Queen of Out of Space is a movie that Beaumont run, wrote in, fifty-eight 58, 59. So it's Jar Gabor, and it's notable for me, because when you watch this movie, you'll go, oh, this is the movie that they're spoofing in Amazon Women on the Moon, specifically. Oh.
3: It's they're so spe- funny.
1: They're specifically spoofing this movie. They're even using the same spacesuits, which are the same spacesuits from the movie Forbidden Planet. Uh. Because he just kept using in, in the Warner Brothers pictures for, like, forever. Um, it's the it's it's weird when you watch. It kind of ruins. Uh, not that I think it's, the like, a classic Amazon Woman on the Moon. It's just that you go, oh, this wasn't clever at all. It's, like, literally shot for shot taking this from that movie.
3: I'm so happy that you brought up Amazon Women on the Moon. Because literally, like, two, three days ago, I can't wait now for my wife to hear this episode. I brought it up to her I was like you ever see Amazon Women on the Moon and she's like no I haven't even heard of it I was like you never even heard of it how I must have I have to talk about it constantly it's one of my favorite movies ever she said you've never ever talked about that movie she said every day you come up with a new movie that's your favorite and she's like I've never heard you talk about this one I said you're full of shit and, and there's so many things that I do that come from that movie I said, you never hear me walk around to safety. I was like, it has to. It's impossible. Yeah, there's it's... a lot of cult. bullshit or not. I or mean, or not. Million... Right. I do it constantly. And then safety has ru- <clears> ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> I do it all the time. And I started playing clips then. With Don Nelson I... Simmons. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I was, just, I was, I was screaming yeah. laughing. And she's like, it's, it's funny. She's like, but I've never heard you talk about it. So I'm happy you just said, Chris will know what this means from Amazon Women on the Moon. God uh, damn it. I do like that movie. <laughs> uh, yeah
1: it's a it's a movie that i've quoted a gazillion times even like, it doesn't all work because it's it's sort of an unofficial no. sequel to kentucky fried movie
3: yeah.
1: in a weird way um there's a lot of references to kentucky fried movie in it that i've never noticed before like when uh somebody's signing something they're set, they're signing samuel bronkowitz which is the name of the fictional producer of uh, kentucky fried movie uh there's like a bunch of stuff and it's, of course it's john landis uh that uh was basically spearheaded it and the stuff that he directs like his segments are the best yeah like the don no <laughs> soul simmons stuff is is one that i could still- watch it
0: tiger yellow ribbon round the old oak tree it's been three long years do you still
2: want me if i don't see a ribbon round the old
0: oak tree i'll stay on the bus forget about us did you know that every seven minutes, a black person is born in this country without soul?
1: Today, like, and it's, I'm laughing like it's the first time I've i I watched seen
3: it, it, it the other night, and the tears were streaming down my face. I was laughing so hard. Him tapping his foot and how off rhythm it is is one of the funniest fucking things I've ever seen. Yeah. That, and, then, and even the opening with Arsenio Hall. Well, that's an, is, am- that's is, an amazing it's, sequence. It's brilliant. It's stupid. The bitch don't live. <laughs> that too. I do that all the time when like it's a wrong the bitch number don't live here. Hey, ain't no Thelma here. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: you're a big one, aren't you Then. <laughs> It's a fucking. It's it's the stupidest joke ever. But the fact that they built this giant animatronic for the Loch Ness monster, but then they play into how fake it looks by hearing <laughs> its wheels squeaking as it's being pulled away. It's fucking so many weird choices in that. Yeah, Selma. It's I- oh. <laughs> so good. The bat that hits Carrie Fisher's head <laughs> in the end credits with her and Paul Bartel is one of the greatest things. <laughs> <laughs> the way just.
3: Bashes uh, our head. How so fucking funny that movie. So
1: anyway, thank you, anyway. Charles Beaumont, for that.
2: Oh, brilliant. And I gave you a so this is 1960. Beaumont told the San Diego San Diego Union, quote, I lived with five widowed aunts who ran a rooming house near a train depot in the state of Washington. Each night we had a ritual of gathering around the stove, and there I'd hear stories about the strange death of each of their husbands. What?
3: Huh. Oh, there was something wrong. There's more to his death than that. We're we're getting to something.
2: I think this might be a true crime podcast now Mm. where we uncover what happened to Charles Beaumont. Beaumont.
3: There's a conspiracy about it because I looked him up and it was like the conspiracy of Charles Beaumont, but I didn't go into it because it was just like a forum and it was probably just a bunch of lunatics talking, but. I should really now dive into it, because maybe they're on to something.
2: Drop in. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: The guy was an amazing writer. It's a shame we lost him. And this is uh,
2: his first taken many
1: quests. <laughs> 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 what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, listen, listen. You know what's
3: going on outside? Oh, no, no, they're not. You're fucking lying. <laughs> you don't hear it? How is it possible? They I must think. hear you talking and then
1: <laughs> It's honey, it's time for your scream walk. <laughs> <laughs> She needs (laughs) a scream walk.
3: (laughs) Uh, We should just stop leaving these
1: in the show. This might be a bonus episode all the time. I'm serious. I'm going to compile all these.
2: Oh, you should do that. That'd be great.
1: I'm going to compile all these. Just like the screaming baby, the mystery mystery of the screaming hallway baby.
2: We're recording like six hours earlier than when we normally, normally record. Right to try to avoid this. Unbelievable! That's
3: <laughs> oh, thank you, God, that was great. Maybe they time it with the Chinese food deliveries. They do come to a few times a day. <laughs>
2: they always think it's their Chinese. Oh, it's Frank's again!
1: Oh damn it! Now the baby's gonna wake up screaming. He thought it was Chinese food.
3: <laughs> Throw him in the hallway. <laughs> no, in the hallway. <laughs> Let him run it out in the hallway.
1: <laughs>
3: uh, good night, oh. folks. <laughs> so what's everyone's rating? I know Frank said it's a 10. A 10.
2: 8. I'm with that. I like an 8. 8?
3: I'm going to go with 7. Hmm, really? 7.
2: Really unique vibe. Um... I, I wonder if I didn't know, if Frank hadn't mentioned previously that this was going to be a Beaumont, if I would have known. Because right away, I was like, oh, this feels so... This just felt fresh in a way that the others didn't.
1: Well, it's also the first one in in a while that's not about nostalgia.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, Or, or right. isolation. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was nice. Right. a little it's, different theme. <laughs> the first, like, yeah,
1: it's like, you know, those are fun to deal with, but every now and again, you need... My dick don't work no more! I'm so stressed from like... <laughs> <laughs> that, Get that cat that... brought away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do nothing with it, nohow. Get out of here.
3: You're going to give was... me a heart attack. Uh... <laughs> that was a little risque for fucking uh, 1959. Yeah. yeah. Just laughing at yeah, it.
2: Yeah, when she's describing, like, do you want to go inside? It's yeah. dark and cool. I was like, whoa.
3: Oh, hey. What you got going on down there? <laughs>
0: Take me in there, Edward. It's dark inside. It's soft and cool and dark. Please. How can I argue with a dream? <laughs>
2: <laughs> What's all going on? In this house of mirrors.
3: Talk about.
1: <laughs> you bring all these guys into this German
3: expressionist nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> do you bring all the fellas here? He actually died of
1: it. I would attack. take one yeah. of them blue the pills, actor. but my blood pressure goes crazy from it. <laughs> you understand? <laughs> damned if I do, damned if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> She's going to keep harassing me if, unless I can get it hard. <laughs> I can't get it hard for her. <laughs> Don't you understand Doc? Some agitated man just ran into my office (laughs) screaming about his dick not working. And then went to sleep. Miss Miss Catwoman, (laughs) could you please call the call
3: uh, 911 Please call an ambulance. (laughs) This guy came (laughs) running and he was screaming about his dick and then he took a nap.
1: He started screaming some sh- such about his member not working, and then he dropped dead right in front of me.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Boy, I didn't need this today. <laughs> Holy oh, shit. That oh, poor fuck. <laughs> I I did need this today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Call it home and tell the leaves the food in the stove. I'm not getting home till late. Oh, Some dude just what? ran in my office. screen. <laughs> There's dick. (laughs) There's gonna be all kinds of questions.
2: (laughs) Oh
3: my god. Oh (laughs) fucking Christ. Oh This episode's an eight. (laughs) (laughs) Salt seven. seven. Holy shit. (laughs) Oh, that was so fucking funny. Uh,
1: I gotta stop. I have nothing left. <laughs> like that poor man.
2: Oh my God.
3: Great episode.
2: Yeah. Oh boy.
3: That uh, was fucking. Well, then, if you put it that way, I'm going to raise it up to an eight. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're
1: good. I think, that, I think that did it. I don't know where we're going. I, I got nothing after got that. Nothing. That's tough to follow. Because <laughs> the soda came right in on time, brought me right back to life. <laughs>
3: Oh man. All All right right. folks. Thank you for zoning out with us. This is the Broken Dick Podcast. (laughs) Until next time. Stay zony. Yes. (laughs) Stay hard. (laughs) Don't be like me. Stay hard.
2: chim chiminey chim chim cherry a sweep is as lucky as lucky can be chim chiminey chim chiminey chim chim charoo good luck will rub off when i shake hands with you or below me a kiss and that's lucky too
0: Oh, mr serling once upon a time there was a ship sailing from liverpool england to new york it never got there and one man on board knew why next week we tell this man's story the distinguished actor Nehemiah Persov plays the role of Carl Lancer, a haunted man in a haunting story called Judgment Night. This ship sails next week, and we hope you'll see it off. Thank you, and good night.